Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. in this place this morning. We serve a mighty God. serve a loving God. I ask you this morning if you would join me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel 22. Uh, I know I ask a lot sometimes. Raise your hands, clap your hands. All those things. But I ask you one more thing this morning. If you will just pray for me, that I would be able to convey to you what I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart in the way that he would have me to, to do that. And I certainly would appreciate it. Not because of me, because it's his word. And I dare not bring a reproach to that word or misconstrue that word or twist that word in any way and so we want his pure word to be spoken so that his will can be done and I believe that he can do it. For Samuel 22 verse 1 through 2 we'll read the Bible says David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it they went down thither to him and every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. The cave is a dullum. The men are distressed in debt and discontented. And for a few moments, I'm going to speak to you from a subject that won't make sense now. But hopefully, with the help of the Holy Ghost, it will when we are done. But I want to talk to you from this subject, a mighty prayer revival. Would you lay your Bibles down and let's pray one more time and let's ask the Lord to help us here today. Lord, we love you. God, we don't pretend to know anything save your death your burial, and your resurrection. We don't contend here today to know everything, God, because we are, in, we are finite in our minds and we are finite in our abilities. But, God, you are infinite in power. And so we're asking you now in Jesus' name that that power would manifest itself, that you would touch my mouth and that you would touch every hearer to hear what thus saith the word. And we'll be careful to praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Life really is a mixed bag. It's been said from this pulpit many times, but it really is, if you think about it, it's a bundle. 
It's a bundle of emotions. It's a bundle of circumstances. There are mountains and there are valleys, both with their own highs and their own lows. There are the mountains in life with their high peaks, and while they protect from the treachery below, the pursuit to reach that peak contains its own jagged edges and crumbling rocks underfoot. There are the valleys that are wide and seemingly dark and destitute, yet possess the potential to shield the scorching sun that would attempt to dry up every bit of needed moisture around, preventing refreshment. Both of them with the full potential to give and to take. Both with the potential to provide and deny. It's just life. It's just life and it's what comes with it. And what comes with it is a mixed bag. Now couple that with an even bigger picture. Lives. Plural. Now we have a multiplex combination that has the guarantee of creating a very mixed bag. And it's certainly always been the case, and I would say that some would agree here that it's always been this way. But it would seem as if the dial has been turned up, so to speak, in the few years, increasingly pervasive as adverse circumstances overlap. And now it is difficult not to allow these things to dominate our conversations and even our very thoughts. The uncertainty that began in 2020 is overshadowed even by more uncertainty in 2021 with seemingly no real answers in sight. And so for this cause, it's a mixed bag. And for this cause, men's hearts have begun to fail them because of the distresses. The frequency of tumultuousness has exponentially surpassed that of previous decades. In fact, it is a tumultuousness that has marked our very generation. Racial tension, global pandemic, scares of wars with nuclear capability, Logistical nightmares that go way beyond Amazon Prime being a day late and no toilet paper on the shelves. It goes beyond all of that in the scarcity of things, commodities, and things that we need for our own sustenance. It's a weariness, a heaviness, and the distresses of this age, without doubt, has affected every man, every woman, and every child. We understand that this is all part of the process. We understand that this is all unavoidable, and it is an unavoidable essentiality to the end of this age. Yet still, it is distressing. And while the end is not yet, it is near. But while the end is near, it is not yet. Thus, we are called to carry out our lives in the midst of this very mixed bag. You can feel the weariness. You can feel that people 
are wearied with the circumstances of life, wearied of the unaccompanied claims of the world and the life around them, unfulfilled, empty promises, increasing adversity and uncertainty. And it is evident that many are overwhelmed by this and they are overtaxed both within and without, deterred, derailed, even some being derelict, and the multiplexity of these diversities as they converge onto this global scene has created weariness, heaviness, deterring, derailing. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the determined, in the midst of all the derailing and all the holding and all of the things that are going on in this world, I hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind. I feel that revival winds are blowing. Yes, the winds of adversity and perversity are prevailing, but they will not prevail because the winds of revival are blowing. They are blowing now and they are here to revive, to restore, and to renew the weary soul. I believe that there is a grouping that is happening. I believe that there is an accompaniment that is taking place. If you will, it is a gathering or an assembling together. And I believe that a change is on the horizon and it is coming because with every mountain that we must climb and every valley that we must walk through, we can never, ever, ever underestimate the power of the in between. Because in this mixed bag... It's going to include some caves. In our opening text, David is on the run. He's running from a misguided and delusional jealousy. And this delusional jealousy of Saul has manifested itself in a criminal way. And he seeks to end the life of this young man who has anointed the successor to his throne. With the help of Jonathan, Saul's son, David resorted, interestingly, first to a city called Nob, a city of priests. He gathers supplies there, and then he travels on to Gath, where he eludes yet another capture from a very familiar enemy of Israel. But then, about 12 miles further inland, halfway between Gath and Bethlehem, near the valley of Elah, where the giant Goliath was slain, David escapes into the cave called Adullam. Now, there are a myriad of circumstances, there are a myriad of implications that we can discuss here today and many viable angles from this particular occurrence in Scripture that we can take. But I would like to point our attention to 1 Samuel 22 and the words found there. The Bible says, And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. The Bible calls them in distress, men that were in debt and discontented. It was a mixed crowd. It was a diverse gathering of malcontent participants, and David became a captain over them. There were those that were distressed. That word distress means extremely, extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. They were 
overcome with grief, living under the current regime, corrupt and oppressed with unfair treatment, worsening by the day. They were mentally anguished and looking for something more. Distressed men who had been impoverished with little money or wealth of their own, but they were willing to offer what they had to fight and to defend what little they had left. It was there that they came to a convergence with others the Bible would call in debt. In the most literal sense of the word, they were in debt, indebted to pay or repay an obligation, overtaxed and then taxed again. These men found themselves indebted to a system in over their head with a high rate of interest on what they owed and unable to repay a debt to the lender. And many of them had become impoverished financially because of it. Destitute in many ways. You see, in ancient times, debt was one of high reproach. And the rate of interest was so high that a loan was sure to effect and be utter ruin to the entire family. Not only would the debt affect the present, but that debt had its, its possibilities and also potentially affecting the future in that of their children. You see, it was their children that would inevitably have to become slaves in order to repay the debt that they owned. In those days, debt had no limits. It had no limits. It wasn't just that when that person died, that debt was wiped clean. It was passed on to their children. And so they're in debt and they're gathered there with other men who are discontented. The word to be bitter, to be desperate, to be bewildered. Can I say it like we would say it? They were fed up. They were disillusioned with something that they once thought would bring them satisfaction in their lives. They were disenchanted with a system they once put their trust in, only to find that it was unable to fulfill the desires of their heart. You see, Israel petitioned God for a king. And despite strong warnings, the people made their choice. I'm going somewhere. 1 Samuel 8 and 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel, the firstborn being Joel and the second Abiah, and they were in Beersheba. But they didn't walk in his ways. And so the elders of Israel, under the excuse gathered themselves together, the Bible says, and came to Samuel at Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in their ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And Samuel went and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Hearken unto their voice, and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Verse 9, now therefore hearken unto their voice. Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And this is what Samuel told them. This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He shall take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take 
your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. Israel, he's going to take everything that belongs to God and he is going to place it in his own care and use it for his own judgment and his own discretion. But they said, nay, but we will have us a king that he also, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so that king would then be anointed by God. His name was Saul. Essentially, although he was anointed to be king by Samuel, by the word of God, Saul is chosen by the people. Saul eventually turns from a servant of the people into a self-serving king over the people. And so here, now, it is and was apparent that something needed to change. Something must take place. And because of all of this, these men are drawn to David in that place. Because God always has a plan. David was anointed the next king of Israel and we find him in the cave of Adullam. Yes, he's running. Yes, he's hiding. But this word, Adullam, means literally place of justice. And it is there that these men found refuge from this totalitarian and misguided approach to governance. Isn't it something that God will always provide a way of escape he will always provide a way of justi justification even in the midst of disobedience because I'll say it again, God always has a plan. It wasn't just a cave. It would be a birthplace of something great. It would be a place that would inspire the words of Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 and it would be a place of realignment. It wasn't just a cave. It wasn't just a hole in a rock, but it was a place of refuge. It was a place in the middle of a barren desert. It was a place in the middle, right in the middle of, of everything that was going on and everything that was going to be. It was a place where there was water there in the middle of a barren desert. There was shelter there from a scorching sun and the unbearable heat. And it's there where David received instruction and it is there where David learned how to follow that instruction and it is there where these men joined them and, and, and whether they understood it or not they attached themselves to something much bigger than themselves. Now some commentaries will tell you that most of these men had nefarious uh, uh, dealings. They, they didn't have all that pure motive. They didn't, they didn't come there with all the pure motives that you would think they would come there for. Other ones would tell you they were simply good men and they were just in distress and they were indebted to a system and that they were just 
beaten down by that, by that system. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what their motives were. It doesn't matter where they came from. It was, it was only the point that they made it there. And because of that, something happened in that place. It's where these men witnessed what true leadership looked like. It was in this cave that these men witnessed true diplomacy and true compassion for people. And it was there that they were prepared for what they were to become because the way they went in was not way the way that they came out of that place. They went in one way, but they came out different when they emerged. And so this is the result. Going into the hold, they were distressed. Going into the hold, they were discontented. And going into the hold, they were absolutely and certainly in debt. Perhaps even brought on by choices that they had made along the way. But while they were there, they received justification. They received refreshing. They received restoration. And they were recharged. And when they came out of that place, they came out as a mighty force in the earth. They came out mighty. They came out together. And when they went in, they were called derelict. But when they came out, they came out a force to be reckoned with. It was in that place that produced what, was, what would be later called David's mighty men. It was in that place that they became what God intended them to be. I'm going somewhere with all of this. I, it was in that place that they learned everything that they needed to know that prepared them for what would be to come when they emerged. It was there where they became what God intended to be. And, and it was there where they became what God intended to defeat the enemies of the Lord and to stabilize and return Israel to God. It was there and afterwards that they quite literally fulfilled the words of Leviticus 26 and 8. And five of you shall chase an hundred. And an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Indeed, one man's steadfast resilience in battle caused his hand to hold a sword so tightly that it became an appendage to him. And he slew hundreds of enemy combatants all by himself. It produced men who emerged from that place who would defend and who would fight for those who were unable to fight for themselves. Mighty acts of valor. As one man laid down 300 warriors at his feet while another would slay an upwards of 800 and lay them down. And it was all because they joined themselves to the plan and to the purpose of God and they became. It was because there is where they joined themselves to something bigger than what was going on around them and they became from a, from a diverse and disbanded group of malcontents to a mighty armed special force to be reckoned with. If you're waiting for something special to happen you're going to be waiting until the end because I'm already preaching. I'm already preaching the message that God gave me and so we might as well get involved. We might as well get God we might as well let him do his work. We might as well go ahead and praise him. We might as well go ahead and just clap our hands to the Lord and praise his name. I'll go ahead and get to the end. I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about everyone in this building right now. I'm referring to me and I'm referring to you. It's all quite familiar if you really think about it. Likewise, 
he was despised and rejected. He came to this earth lowly and born in a manger. He, put, he, he came into his own, but his own received him not. But they were drawn unto him. When he passed by them and saw them and said unto them, follow me, they followed him and joined themselves to him. And they too, just like the men of old, experienced the harshness of an overbearing regime, overtaxed, distressed, and discontent. And I say this with great deference, many of them malcontent, misfits, but with them... But with them, he built what would become a mighty force in the earth. Because just as many as rejected him, just as many as didn't want to know him, the Bible says as many as received him, gave he them the power to become and so built on them and built on the revelation of who he was and with them. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it because no matter what, God always has a plan equipped with the power to become the sons of God. And upon his instruction, they tarried at Jerusalem until they were filled with the Holy Ghost, with that power that was on high. And the most powerful entity that has ever been produced stepped on to a global scene and was birthed in Acts chapter 2. And here's the result. Here is the result. It produced men. It produced men that would stand for truth. It would produce men who would stand for everything that the Bible says that we ought to stand for. It would produce a powerful church and it would produce a powerful people and it would produce a people with powerful weapons. Men like Peter who would preach to the masses and they would be converted in Acts chapter 3. Men like Philip in in Acts chapter 8 preaching in the city of Samaria by the holy power of God the people heard and they believed with one accord and the Bible says that many miracles took place mass healings and deliverances from demonic oppression brought joy to an entire city it would produce people like Priscilla and Aquila who would be steadfast pillars of God able to sit down at a table and preach one on one Bible studies with a man and show him the word of God more perfectly and go on to pastor churches in their own home. Believers like those in the city of Jerusalem after Peter and John were accosted by the priests and the Sadducees having healed that lame man at that gate of the temple by the power of the name of Jesus. This is what the church did and being let go in Acts chapter 4 they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod 
and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus now they didn't just say that and then there was crickets they didn't just pray that and nothing happened the Bible says and when they had prayed hear me now the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. I'm telling you this morning it is a powerful church. It was a church with powerful weapons and it was a powerful people. But I can stand here boldly and say today that it was a powerful church. It was powerful people that had powerful weapons at their disposal just as much as I can stand here and say it is a powerful church. It is a powerful people and we have powerful weapons. I believe that today because the church is still standing today. I believe that power still exists today because we are here today. I believe that we have that power today because God promised us that power. He said greater things will ye do than what we have done. Greater things I'll give you the former rain and I'll give you the latter rain and I'll give them to you all at the same time. Time, I believe that without a shadow of a doubt that there are winds that are beginning to blow and there is restoration coming. But I also believe, and I believe quite possibly, that we are experiencing our own adullam. said it before I'll say it again it is very difficult not to allow the ails of this age to affect our outlook our attitude and our very existence I stand with those of old and say we are not of this world and I mean this with great respect but we are in this world. We like to say we're not, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I believe that. We are not of the world, but we are in the world. And while the end is near, it is not yet. Saul in our text is the epitome of carnality. He is the picture of the enemy of our very souls. One who was once in a position of uprightness now stands in reprobate and fallen, bent on opposing the word of God. Saul literally, not figuratively, literally killed priests and silenced the voice of God in his own life. In time, he would provide a place in his army for an Edomite Something that God hated who would gladly carry out the task 
for him. Saul hates the ministry and seeks to follow his own jaded mindset. Saul says, I can do this all by myself. I stand head and shoulders taller than any man around me. Well, I hate to tell you this, Saul, but there was a lot of short men in that day. God always has a plan. David represents what is chosen of God. He represents all that is part of God's plan. The man after God's own heart. He represents the compassion of God and the word of God and the purpose of God. And it was there at that place called Adullam that he and these men were molded into what God would call them to be, equipped with the favor of God. And if we look close enough, we can see ourselves. Likewise, not everything is all right in the world. And every God-ordained institution is outwardly under attack. What became as subtle has progressed into something overt and unapologetic in its tactics, forcing some to seek refuge. But hear me today, there's nothing wrong with seeking that refuge. The distressed, the anxious, the stressed out about what is all going around you and what all this means. The in debt, owing more than you could ever repay. Some in sin, some in literal debt. The discontented, the disillusioned and bitter in soul from the unfulfilling offerings of the world, both in and out. A real mixed bag. A real motley crew if you look at it close enough. A diverse convergence of souls. But hear me today, it's all of that and it's all of that plus some but hear me today if you find yourself in any of those texts in any of those descriptions I'm here to tell you that you are in the right place a mixed bag a motley crew a divergence of convergence of souls but in the right place and at the right time because it's here it's at this place where God is going to build a mighty army it is in this place that God is going to make of us what he's called us to be it's here that God has brought us together and it is here where God's fulfillment of his purpose will take place in the earth it will be powerful it will be powerful a powerful people a powerful church equipped with the very powerful weapons of warfare that Paul said are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I'm coming to a close, and I believe that one of the best things that we can possess in this hour, and I'm getting to my text, the power of prayer. Now this is where I'm going to need you to help me. prayer and please don't misunderstand me but I am not talking about just simple now I lay me down praying over our food and even just praying by ourselves at home 
With the help of the Holy Ghost for the next few minutes, I hope that God will reveal what he believes is happening in this hour and what I believe that he has handed to me to deliver. But I believe that now God has been and is assembling a mighty army. Not in the earth, but right here on this parcel of ground and in this house. And it will be an army of people that seemingly would have no outward appearance of being anything other than normal human beings. But it's not about you and it's not about me, but it is what we are connected to. And because of what we are connecting to and what we will connect ourselves to here today, we will have the ability and the power to become what God has intended for us to be. I believe that right now, I believe that right now in this hour that there is a revival of corporate prayer that is stirring and rumbling underneath the surface of where we stand and I believe that it is getting ready to make itself known and it will be powerful discontented yeah disconcerted maybe in debt probably bound by human being and, and, and all the things that are going on in this world but we are going to be liberated through the power of spiritual supercharged weapons of warfare the uncertainty of 2020 and all else that is going on around us at this moment has outwardly created what I believe is a holding pattern of sorts. It has driven some into obscurity. It has pulled some out of the game, perhaps. It has pushed us into a holding pattern. And if we will be real with ourselves right now, it has in effect been a little bit discouraging. Perhaps plans that were made didn't come to pass like we thought they should. Some setbacks took place and maybe some disillusionment occurred, driven into a cave. The enemy thought he had us right where he wanted us, but I'm here to serve notice to him. He was and always will be wrong because we are coming out of this stronger than we went in. We are coming out of this stronger than what we did in the, in the past. We are coming out of this resolute. We are coming out of this more cohesive and together and more unified than we ever have been. Hear me today. There is something that is stirring in this congregation. There is something that is trying to manifest itself to us in this hour. There is something. There is something that is coming about and I believe that it is a resurgence of corporate prayer and it has the potential to bring every stronghold of the enemy crashing down. I believe that it has the potential to bring those that have walked away walking back in those doors. I believe that it has the potential to bring every sickness, every malady, everything that is going wrong around us to be stabilized and to be made what God intended to be. Hear me today. Spiritually, one of you will make a thousand devils flee and slay principalities and princes of darkness by supernatural means. David's men attempt 
attached themselves to the eternal and became committed to a cause and brought stability to an entire nation. And I believe that we can do the same thing in the spirit. You've come way too late this morning to try to convince me otherwise. And this is unconventional, I understand, and this is way, way, way outside of my comfort zone. We were in a prayer conference, and I asked Amy this morning to help me. I don't have all the details with this. But we were in a prayer conference not too long ago, some years ago. Brother Suey was there, and he was preaching. And he was preaching on prayer. It's a prayer conference. He said they were at a meeting in New York City. I don't know what the meeting was for. I don't know how many people were in the meeting. I don't know if it was a church service or if it was just a convergence of people to have a meeting about work. I don't know. He said during that meeting, someone was prompted to pray. And they began to pray. And they felt like God's will was done. But they had no idea what they were praying for and why they were praying. But it was brought to light later that not too far from where they were, there was a threat, a bomb that was going to go off. And that, that threat was thwarted. That would have endangered people that were with them, that were in their company, and that were near staying where they were staying. And so you've come way too late this morning to tell me that we can't band together. And so this world and all that's going on, it's real. I understand that. It, it shouldn't scare us, but it should be of concern to us. Instead of, instead of it driving us completely out, it's okay to be driven into the cave. It's okay to be driven together because that's what we were intended to be. Together, together, together we will. Together we will bring strongholds down. And I believe that right now it is stirring. You can feel it. You can feel it. I believe right now that although that the distresses of this life are real and the, distent, the, dis, the, the discontent is valid and though we are surrounded by grief, greed, and despair, I believe that something else is apparent in this house and in this body and I believe that the power of God's plan has not been weakened and it, his provision is not lacking. There is a revival that is blowing in this house. We heard it Wednesday night. There is a mantle that is falling and all we need to do is step in to that. All we need to do is step into that. We we will fulfill 2 Chronicles 7 and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain or if I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence among the people if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray somebody say and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal 
their land. And so don't discount the cave and don't disparage the hold. There is nothing inherently wrong with where we are because I believe that God is assembling together. I believe that God is bringing together because it's not so much what you were when you got here. It will all depend on what you are when you walk out of this place. And I believe that right now we are here for what God wants and I believe that we are here where God wants us. I'm going to just keep reading my notes. We came in distressed, but we're leaving here triumphant. If you came in that manner, can I tell you this morning, you're in the right place. You're right where God wants you. You are not here by our arbitrary means. You may think you got up this morning and made the decision to come to this house, but I believe with all shadow of doubt that God has got you here for an appointment, for a purpose, and for his power, and you are right where God wants you. And so I say this morning to this congregation and whoever will heal me, allow your distress to lead you to the one who can relieve it. Allow your indebtedness to lead you to the one who paid it all and allow your discontentment to cause you to align yourself with the plan and the purpose of God that he has for your life and watch God do miraculous things in your life and around you. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord? Why don't we cry out to him right now? Why don't we give heed to his word? Why don't we give response to his word? I believe there's something stirring. I believe there's something stirring in the congregation. I believe that he's calling us to another level. I believe that he's calling us to a purpose and I believe that purpose will be found in prayer. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.